scripture this morning that I want to turn to is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us lay aside every weight. Now for those of us who occasionally travel by air, we understand that before you go to the airport, you have to weigh your baggage. Because we also know that when you get to the airport, they are going to officially weigh it. And each uh, carrier, whoever you go with, has got their own uh, particular weights that they will allow you to carry on their plane. And so, you know the drill, what you do is you pack your big bag first at home, then you get your bathroom scales out, you stand on your bathroom scales, weigh yourself, which is a scary thing to do, isn't it? Then you step off the scales, lift your big bag, step back on again, and whatever the difference between those two weights, that's the weight of your baggage, obviously. And then, of course, you do that with your hand luggage as well. So then when you go to the airport and uh, you get to the ticket desk, now depending on who's behind the ticket desk on any particular day and what mood they're in, they may be, if they're in a good mood, a little bit more discretionary regarding your luggage of your weight of your luggage. And so you put it on and just say it's maybe just one kilo over. Your total baggage is just one kilo over. Well, that person, uh, they may use their discretion and they may just say nothing and just let you go through and give you a boarding pass. But once in a while, you get a very officious person. And I think we've all met those. And even if it's just one gram over, they are determined that you are going to be penalized and that you're going to pay for excess baggage. And we know that sometimes those costs of those excess baggage uh, can be quite hefty. And so you do everything you can to keep within that weight limit and have no excess baggage. Sally and I, a couple of years ago, we were coming through Manila Airport. It was in the evening time. And whenever we got there, what a sight we had to behold. Because it seemed to be everybody on our flight, because the, the staff were very officious, Everybody on our flight seemed to have their cases on the floor, having them opened up, and they were swapping stuff from one case to the other, and for his case to her case to her case to his case, uh, trying to even up the balance of the weight. But some of them were over, overweight on their luggage, and we saw them having to go over to a side desk and pay the penalty. And so whatever you do, obviously travel as light as you can. And the moral of the story is this. In life... Travel as light as you can. Because we, we carry weights. We, we carry loads and weights upon us uh, that, that really oftentimes are so unnecessary. Uh, and they weigh us down and, and they hurt us. Uh, and they cause us difficulties and problems. Now I understand, of course, that all of us is legitimate weights that we carry. We have responsibilities for a family, for our homes, for our jobs, our careers, our schooling, our university. All these things are, are responsibilities and they are a weight on us. But we bear those. We have to. And we often enjoy doing that. But it's the other weights I'm talking about. It's the things that we shouldn't be bearing. It's the weights that we're carrying that really are really weighing us down and causing us hurt and difficulty. And so I want to talk about those weights today, the excess baggage that you and I often carry that we shouldn't do.
And the first one is guilt. Guilt can be a terrible baggage to bear. You know, you may look back and some past incident in your life. And whenever you think about it, then you feel a ton of guilt just coming upon you. <laughs> or, or you feel just a, a failure, or you feel disappointed, or you feel shame or humiliation. Uh, and we relive oftentimes those incidents over and over and over again in our mind. We hit that replay button again and again and again. And it becomes a recurring theme. If only... I should have. I wished I had never. And over and over and over again, this goes on in our minds. And the worst of it is, the worst of it is, we have long since repented of it. Christ has long since forgiven us. And we know that. We absolutely know that, that his blood has cleansed us, that the slate is wiped clean. But somehow or other, it just keeps resurfacing. Sometimes it goes away for a while and you think that's it. And then just bang, someday you just wake up and there it is again. It's in your mind, it's in your thoughts, and it really is a weight. It's just a weight of baggage on us. So what do you do? How, how can you handle that? Now, of course, you can't stop the thought coming to your mind. Nothing we can do about that. Those thoughts will come. But when it comes, what do you do? You can't stop it. But what can you do when it comes? Well, I believe that you have to nip it right in the bud. Because if you don't, then you will mull over it and you'll think about it and you will nurse it and you will analyze it. And then you're right back to where you started. So here's my suggestion to you today. If that thought comes, that guilt thought, that thought that wants to pull you down, and you know you're forgiven, you know you've repented, you know Christ has cleansed you, here's what to do. And sometimes you'll have to do this actually out loud. You'll have to verbalize this with your mouth. What you need to do is to say, I am forgiven. And emphasize that. I am forgiven. Christ has forgiven me. I am cleansed by Christ's blood. That there is gone in my life. It's over. I am forgiven. And maybe you can remember the, the, the wonderful scripture in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, then he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so say, I am forgiven. Jeremiah 31, verse 34, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. It's not wonderful. God has got the capacity to remember your sins no more against you forever. In other words, he's not going to drag it up. He has dealt with it. It's long since forgiven. He will not drag it up and wave it before you and condemn you with it. It's gone, and it's gone forever. So guilt is an awful weight of baggage to bear. Get rid of it today. Say, Lord, take this from me today. I know you've forgiven me, and I thank you for that. I'm not going to dwell on this. The second thing is hatred. Hatred is too great a burden to bear. So said Martin Luther King Jr. You know, in the mid-50s to the mid-60s, there was tremendous race riots all across America. And the, the civil rights movement was born in that era. 
And Martin Luther King Jr. was one of those who was one of the key players in that. And just like today, we, we see even today, even this week, we see all kinds of race division in the United States that spilt it everywhere all over the world, actually, at this moment in time. But here's what Martin Luther King Jr. said. He says, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Isn't that a great statement? I have decided to stick with love, for hate is too great a burden to bear. And then his wife, Coretta Scott King, she said, Hate is too great a burden to bear. It injures the hater more than it injures the hated. It injures the hater more than it injures the hated. You know, it's possible to hate somebody and they could care less. As far as they're concerned, that's your problem. They're getting on with their life, thank you very much. And you continue with that ill feeling and that bitterness or that hatred in the heart, and it's injuring you. It's hurting you. It's doing you harm. It's doing no harm to them. They could care less. They're going on their life. But it's us. It's you. It's me. It gets hurt through that. Hate is an access baggage that demands a great payment. It'll eat out your very soul. It will be like a canker in your spirit. And there is no place for hatred in the heart of a Christian. No place. You say, but, but aren't we all Christians today, David, you're speaking to? So what, why are you speaking to us about hatred? Well, you see, John spoke about it, and John addressed the church. He addressed Christians about this very subject. In his first epistle, 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, here's what he said. He who says he is in light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You know, John was the apostle of love. And he writes this as a very, very old man. And he's talking to the church. He was like the, the senior elder statesman of the church at that time. He's the only apostle still alive after all those years. He's in his 90s. And when you read his epistles, he talks much about love, for us to love one another. And so that's why he's putting that there, that we're not to hate anybody, particularly our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And then in Matthew chapter 5, and in verse 43, Jesus is saying this. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, isn't that counter to our flesh? Well, it shouldn't be counter to this new life we have in Christ, but it's counter to the old life. It's counter to the old flesh, but it's not counter to the new life we have in Christ. This should be the norm for us. You say, David, that's, that's quite tough, isn't it? Absolutely. To love your enemies, to bless those who curse you, to do good to those who hate you, to pray for those who spitefully use you. I tell you, we need the Holy Spirit to give us the grace to be able to do that. But that's what Christ demands. That's what he said that we ought 
to do. You know, Golda Meir was formerly, years ago, the Prime Minister of Israel. And during the time of the, uh, the, 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 the uprisings that were in Israel, where the, where the Arab nations particularly uh, were, and still are to a large degree, against Israel. And so there's all these uprisings against Israel and against what it stood for. And so she was asked one time on television about this. Why are the Arabs so against you? Why is this continuing, these wars between you continuing? And here's what she said. As long as the Arabs hate us more than they love their children, there will always be war. As long as the Arabs hate us more than they love their children, there will always be war. What kind of hatred drove Hitler to systematically, cold-bloodedly kill on industrial scale six million Jewish men, women, and children? What hatred was locked up in that man's heart? What hatred was in Osama bin Laden's heart whenever he planned the, and concocted the whole idea of, of having planes to fly into the Twin Towers in New York and killing thousands of innocent people? What hatred drove him there? What hatred in our nation over 30 years saw so many murders and killings and assassinations, so much hurt and pain against what, what hatred was in the hearts of our people that caused so much murder and mayhem. I tell you what hatred, the same hatred that was in the heart of Cain when he killed his brother Abel in the Garden of Eden. See, hatred as old as the Garden of Eden. And it's still with us to this very day. Fallen man has the capacity and the propensity to hate even without a cause. Jesus was hated without a cause. You know, he never did anybody any harm. In fact, he did good everywhere he went. He healed the people. He even raised their dead. He fed them when they were hungry. He blessed them. He did everything in his power to help and to bless people. And yet the religious people hated him with a passion. And their only desire was to destroy him. And eventually, of course, they put him on a cross, didn't they? Jesus in John 15, 25, he says he was hated without a cause. In fact, he says it fulfilled the prophecy of old that he would be hated without a cause, the corresponding verses, Psalm 69 and 4. But how did Jesus respond? And how should we respond? How did Jesus respond to the hatred that came against him? In 1 Peter 2, 23, Peter tells us, here's what he said, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. You see, he didn't return kind with kind. He made sure that there was no hate in his heart. Even those who came against him with pure hatred, he did not revile against them. Now, there is a legitimate hatred, if I could put it this way. There's things that we should hate. We should hate what God hates. We should hate sin and the consequences of it and what it does to people's lives. We should hate injustice. 
and in wickedness and oppression of the poor and exploitation of the weak. That's what we should hate. But not, not people individually. How do we handle hatred? How do we handle hatred that comes against us? Or how do we handle hatred if we hate somebody else? Well, the first thing to do is to pray for the person that you hate or even pray for the person who hates you. Pray for them. It's hard to hate somebody if you're praying for them. You say, David, it's not easy. Well, you may start out through gritted teeth. You may say, God bless this stinker. You know, you may be start out angry, but as you keep on praying, your heart will soften. And then you'll maybe begin to pray like Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, sometimes people will come against you and they've no idea why they do it. <laughs> and you have no idea either. It's just the spirit in them against the spirit in you. So you just have to pray. There may be an occasion, even though you try to let go of it, there may be occasion when you wish for reconciliation. You wish this animosity was over. You wish that friendship that perhaps you once had was rekindled again. But that's not always possible. Sometimes people don't want to be reconciled. Sometimes they just don't want anything more to do with you, ever. What do you do with that? You hand it over to God. You say, Lord, I can't do anything about that. So I hand that person over to you. I hand the offender over to you. Or if I have offended that person, then I'm sorry for that. But if they don't receive that, then I hand them over to you. Make sure in your life that you have no hatred against anyone. Sometimes people's hard to love. I understand that. Sometimes people's very hard to love. But make sure that you don't hate anybody. As believers, we don't have that option. Jesus said we're to love one another. We're to pray for those who spitefully use us. We're to bless those who curse us. And so the next weight is fear. Now, fear can be an awful weight also to carry about with us. Some fear their past is going to catch up on them. Some fear their future is running out. Some fear of their singleness. The fear of being left on the shelf, of not having a partner in life. Some fear that they're going to fail the exam or they're not going to get to the uni at their expectation. Some fear their business is going to go bust. I mean, the list is endless. Young people especially, particularly young girls, the fear of getting fat of being fat-shamed, of being called names, of not fitting in, of being ostracized from everybody else because of your shape or your form. That's a real fear, particularly of young girls, but not exclusively. Sometimes young guys have got that fear also. But it's a fear, and fear can emotionally drain you. It can physically impair you. It can spiritually cripple you. Fear in the New Testament is phobos which is where we get phobia from. And it can be used negatively and positively. It can be used both ways. You know, there's a good fear, a genuine good fear. Uh, I, I would be a, 
definitely afraid of sticking my finger into an electrical live socket, for sure. I would be afraid of walking out into the street today, into a busy street and walking across it without looking left or right. That, that would be a genuine fear. And it's a good fear. It would keep me safe. It's a caution. It's a reason why I'm still alive today, because I have been afraid of doing certain things that I know if I did do them, they're going to cause me much harm. That's a good fear. And all of us has got that. God has put that in our lives to help us. But then there's a negative fear. There's a negative fear. There's a fear that just causes not to do anything. We're scared to take a step. We're scared to step out in faith. How many, how many people today could be on the mission field? but they're afraid of taking a step of faith. How many could be pastors or ministers or preachers or teachers, but they're afraid of taking a step of faith? The fear of failure oftentimes is what holds us back. So there's a positive fear and there's a negative fear. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare. But Proverbs 9 and 10 says, the fear of of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The reverence, the respect, the honor of the Lord, it brings wisdom. But the fear of man, it brings a snare. Edgar Guest wrote a quite a humorous little poem one time. And it's about somebody who's, who's not afraid to step out. He's not afraid to get stuck in. You know, in spite of all the odds, they're, they're just willing to get out there and do it. There's a quite a funny little poem. Let me just read it to you. Somebody said that it couldn't be done, but he with a chuckle replied that maybe it couldn't, but he would be one who wouldn't say so till he'd tried. So he buckled right in with a trace of a grin on his face. If he worried, he hit it. He started to sing as he tackled the thing that couldn't be done, and he did it. Somebody scoffed, oh, you'll never do that. At least no one has ever done it. But he took off his coat and he took off his hat, and the first thing we knew, he had begun it. With a lift of his chin, with a bit of a grin, without any doubt or quibbling, he started to sing as he tackled the thing that couldn't be done, and he did it. There are thousands to tell you it cannot be done. There are thousands to prophesy failure. There are thousands to point out to us one by one the dangers that wait to assail you. But just buckle in with a bit of a grin. Then take off your coat and go to it. Just start in to sing as you tackle the thing that cannot be done, and you'll do it. It's easy to laugh when the battle's fought, and you know that the victory's won. Yes, easy to laugh when the prize you sought is yours when the race is run. But here's to the man who can laugh when the blast of adversity blows, he will conquer at last. For the hardest man in the world to beat is the man who can laugh in the face of defeat. <laughs> so don't let fear hold you back from obeying what God has put in your heart. Don't allow that fear to cripple you. If it's something that you need to step out in faith to do for God, then do it in faith believing and God will be with you. The final weight, I should say, is worry. Worry can be a terrible burden to bear. Some people say, well, I, I'm a born worrier. Uh, I, mean, I could write a manual on how to worry. Uh, I mean, if worry was in the Olympics, I would win the gold medal. I worry about everything. 
I worry about the weather, I worry about the economy, I worry about the state of the country, I worry about the state of the world, I worry about my job, I worry about my kids, I worry about this and that and everything. But here's the problem. All of that worry flies in the face of Scripture. All of that worry is in defiance of what God tells us not to do. In Philippians 4 verse 6 in the Living Bible, Paul says, don't worry about anything. That covers everything, doesn't it? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for the answers. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. It's hard to worry about something if you're praying about it. If you're taking it to God in prayer. If you're laying it at his feet. And you're saying, Lord, I want you to take this. Help me. Give me strength and grace for this. And it's hard to worry about it when you do that. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, in the NIV, Jesus speaking said, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that good? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. But we don't do that. Sure we don't. We have our worries for today, but then we try to borrow tomorrow's worries into today as well. But God has no answer to tomorrow's worries today. Your worries today, he's got an answer for. Your worries tomorrow, he'll have an answer tomorrow for. But he hasn't got an answer for tomorrow's worries today. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily walk with God. A daily walk. In John 14, 27 in the NIV, Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Casting all your care, not some of it, but all of it, for he cares for you. See, sometimes people, if they're worriers, they feel, well, I have a right to worry. I ought to worry. In fact, some people are not happy unless they're worrying. They like to worry. But it defies what God says about it. Jesus says, do not worry. Peter says, cast all your care upon him because he's the one who truly cares about you. I read about a businessman who was a terrible worrier. Whenever business was going bad, he worried that he would go bust. Whenever business was going really, really good, he worried, will it last? He worried about whether his competitors would steal his ideas. He worried about those who liked this product today. Would they like it in a year's time? He just worried about everything. And a friend said to him, you need counsel. Go and get some counsel. And so he went to the doctor. And a few weeks later, his friend met him. His friend said, why? He says, you look terrific. You look an entirely different person. What happened? Ah, he says, it's wonderful. He says, I went to the doctor. He says, it's absolutely wonderful. He says, I do feel I'm totally different. He said, I am paying him to worry for me. <laughs> and then his friend says, well, I'm sure it was expensive. Expensive? He says, it cost an absolute fortune. It's costing me. And the man says, but, but I know you haven't got that kind of money to pay that. He says, well, that's for him to worry about. 
You see? So do not worry about anything. Matthew 6, at the end of it, is Christ's antidote to worry. In fact, about five different times he says, do not worry. Remember the little ditty said the robin to the sparrow? Friend, I would really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And so today, let us lay aside every weight. Let us lay it down today. You know, you're not meant to carry it. It'll cripple you. It'll weigh you down. It'll cause you not to be able to go forward in the things of God. You'll be worried with sick, with fear or worry or some animosity. Let's today get rid of it. Let's just get rid of it right today. Let's ask the Lord to give us the grace and the strength and the help today just to get rid of it. Amen? I'm going to pray for you. You say, David, well, none of those things you said is my weight. Uh, I'm carrying something if only you knew. Just about every day of my life, it's there. Well, I don't know what it is, but God knows. And God knows and you knows that's all it needs to know. So even that which I don't know, even that which I haven't shared today, but if it's your weight, if you're carrying it, and it's weighing you down, then today, let's pray together and ask God to remove it from your shoulders so that you're free to run this race, that you're free to carry on your life in Christ as he intended it to be. Let me pray for you right now. Lord, I pray for my brother and my sister today. I pray that that weight that they've been carrying, that's weighing them down, that's holding them back, that's stifling their spiritual life, I pray that today, as we agree together, Lord, that you will lift that weight. And Lord, that you will bless them, that you will strengthen them with your grace and your love and your mercy. And Lord, that their faith will rise up. And Lord, that their courage and their strength will rise up. And Lord, that they will take those steps of faith. Lord, that they will trust you again and again. And Lord, that these things that's been holding them back and weighing them down, that will be gone out of their lives and they'll be free to serve you and to walk with you and to love you and to know you in a greater way. So Lord, bless them today. Give them your grace and your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 